It's episode 93 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Seamus Allen. Hey, hello. Hello. Hey, okay, how, cool. how are you? Good, 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 good. <laughs> yes, good. Thank you for coming to my home. Oh, I'm very happy. I'm very privileged to be the first <laughs> non-relative to be in your abode. Yes. Please visit me. I'm so alone. Yes. Please. <laughs> Come to Reading. It's like it's nicer than you think. No, actually, no, that's horrible. It's a really nice place. Just it's lovely. It is lovely. I now feel I might put it down. I'm not. It's a great place. It's really great. Not a bit too up, you know, but it is fine. It's a good place. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's that, a place to live. That, that reassures me yeah, of my life good. decisions yeah, have been correct. <laughs> There's loads of us here. We kind of, God, oh, people come from here and go from here. God, oh, Ricky Gervais came from here. So well, well, there yeah. you are. Yeah. He's a figure. Yes, he is. Now, this. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the. Uh, let's talk about the improv scene in Reading. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, there is one now. Uh, weirdly, uh, it, it it kind of started up from. It started up actually, I think of me being really rubbish at developing things that I think that actually Steve, Steve Rowe from Hoopla years ago had, and Steve is just such a brilliant kind of, um, decide, like he's a St. Paul of improv. But with better attitudes to women. Yes, better <laughs> attitudes to most people. <laughs> and he was great at just kind of going around places and doing workshops, like for nothing. He would yeah. just kind of do workshops because he loves improv. Yeah. And I remember I met Steve through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mark Dawson, um, when I was doing a show with Mark. And I just said, oh, I, you know, I was doing improv and I'd been doing stuff with Ken. And I said, oh, I'd love to do a, a workshop with you. And he literally went, I'm doing one next Sunday, come on down. And then at the end of it, he went, do you want the mailing list? I thought, oh, what? Okay. Um, and I kind of took it and kind of didn't. And then... If Few, this is really convoluted. A few years later, I had an actual college campus, very briefly. We, we now have a new one, but there was a brief time when Reading University gave us their college campus. And I had a venue, I had a spot, a spot, and I kind of went, cool, anybody interested in improv, let's just come, meet up, and we'll just share a load of ideas. So there's people from Progress Theatre, um, and a lot of people from the art scene here that had done improv anyway. And we met up, and we'd kind of looked at doing something, and then that filtered out. And then one of my students said... I'm going to set something up for you um, in Newbury. And I was great. And I, I did the thing on, great, there's one of my jobs I can drop. Because I, I, I kind of, I'm a single father, so I, have, I, just, I only work or have kids. So the, I, I run the college and then I have, like, Thursday nights, I, I, I'm a director at the Watermill Theatre. Um, Saturday nights I work. So Wednesday nights I always had another job because it was the nights my kids weren't with me. And I'm great, I can drop that and do something on my own. And it just didn't come through. And I went, oh, nuts. Um, I better do something. Hey, so I'm not going to anything. So I kind of just got, I, I called around and, no, I did, the, no, I did the, actually the laziest form of everything that I do, which is do this stupid post on Facebook. Hey, Facebook, can somebody do stuff for me? And uh, she got in touch, who runs a lot of the arts here and said, oh, there's a person I know who has a, a venue. There's, here's three venues. And I kind of went, I don't want an arts venue because I think that I have a tendency of feeling that an arts venue has a, it has a specific audience and there's a specific environmental feel to an arts venue that puts people off. And I was like, improv, it should be, and this is from Adam Megiddo, 
when first when I was first on improv in London, and Adam kind of went, "It's rock and roll for actors. You get to be on stage with a glass of wine in your hand. It's rock and roll." And I was like, "Yes, it needs to be a venue where everybody feels comfortable and safe and a safe space, which is interesting. Something we're developing now." And I went, "A bar is what we need, um, and I want people to have to have a drink and people who kind of go, they wouldn't turn up anywhere else." And so got in touch with Bill, um, who runs uh, Smoke and Builds. And he was just brilliant. He went, I love people. I love having arts people around. Do you want my top room? And I'm like, yeah. What do you need? And he's always been so good at that, kind of going, no, I just love having a community of anything here. Um, and we took over, and it was handy for me because I was able to get, I have my students from Reed College, my acting students, so I kind of went, well, this is part of your course. You have to do it. <laughs> so they kind of come in. And it's always nice, actually, because there's always one or two that will always come through, and I can always build up towards a good improv kind of grounding and then they'll go off and they'll set up their own groups. I have a company, there's, there's Chris Baker who runs um, through um, his college, he runs an improv musical. He's now doing, he's now written a musical, Timpsons the musical, um, based on Timpsons the key cutters. Just stand. <laughs> uh, but he's a, he's, a, he's, a script, he's a script writer and he's just finishing his course in, um, in creative writing and he set up a really good, well he kind of developed a really good musical improv group where he is in Limited Spa, and then another guy, Dougie, went out to Guildford, um, PPA on the college there, and he set up some really good improv groups. So they kind of come in, and we always get one or two students to stay with us. So we started doing that, and we had the Wednesday class, and I kind of went, great, because I can't be on my own or doing nothing. So I was like, cool, I'll just do this every Wednesday. I'd been in touch with Alex, who runs Mad Monkey Improv, and he'd always come in and shadowed me in a lot of classes and read, and it was great he was able to come in. And then through that, and then at some stage, I kind of said, oh, yeah, we'll develop it. And Bill said, what's the next thing? And I said, oh, we'll do shows. And he went, great. When? And I went, soon. <laughs> and then I think the Purple Turtle were doing a show, and Bill went, I thought you were doing shows here. And I went, yes, next week we will be. <laughs> Crap. Because the only way I'll ever do anything is out of panic. And so I developed it. I started doing a show then, and I kind of went, we better do a show every week or two weeks. What I originally wanted was, you have a graduation show at the end of the month. And I kind of just out of panic went, we'll do more. Okay. And that do one every two weeks, which I thought, oh crap. <laughs> and it just was also whenever I'm not with my kids. Um, and then that developed, which is, and then that kind of locked itself in, just out of a really organic panic. And I think actually it was inter interesting to listen to Ruth Bratz one, saying about, because I was in that kind of community coming up through Ken, where we were all just finding our way. And what I really liked, and, and I think it had kind of, the lot, lot of the London scene where I'd seen that becoming quite. Um, formatted people kind of have very formatted which is weird I'm sorry I'm just so tangential that's what I'm, this podcast uh, okay. is very much all about it's it, it very much as I noticed but I was really big into NLP Neuro Linguistic Programming in like in the, the 90s excuse me while I just mirror your position on the sofa uh, yeah. I hope you're feeling uh, yes. hope you're feeling congruent I'm, now I'm, I'm, oh, well done <laughs> that's, that's it so I'd, re I'd read all the Bandler and Grindler stuff and the original stuff and really gotten into it. And then I'd seen how it just became kind of franchised out to NLP for business, NLP for, NLP for, blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes these aspects. And I'd been trained, I'd, like, when I was training as an actor, we had a really good, an amazing tutor who also taught us to be drama tutors because a part of the course was becoming about being a teacher. And he was very good about this idea that he hated the word, and it's a very Irish thing, drama as a tool. That idea of you go do a bit of drama as a tool for education. He goes, no, it's an aesthetic. You just have an aesthetic, that's it. If you get anything else out of it, that's fine. That's not what we're here for. You're not a therapist. You're not an, you're, you're not an educator to a degree. You're a facilitator. Very kind of right on and hippie. 
which I like. And so that sense of where it starts going, it's just for a, you know, this, you kind of get your gradings and stuff. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm kind of not, I like this organic feel that we have. So we kind of are very much finding our way with the Wednesday classes. And then Alex kind of lost his venue. So he was like, Can Mad, Mon Mad Monkey's going to start doing here. So one of the other Fridays came up. One of the guys called Rodri, who is a stand-up comic, had already done a really brilliant stand-and-deliver Thursday night where he gets brilliant comics through. And that just kind of became, started to be grounded in our little venue. And then um, Dave Robertson came in to do the classes and he just such drive and such ambition. And he was like, I want to do my own kind of improv. And because he was involved with Science Week and he has that background, and I think also we noticed that, that a lot of people that do improv, I find programmers... People with a heavy science and mathematics bent. I think it's because they like patterns. Mm. Um, so it, he came in and he went, well, I want to do a science one. And he's so driven. I was like, great, we'll do that as a Friday night as well. So it just kind of developed from that, which was just really lovely, kind of finding a way of saying, great, you have two hours. And that had always been my push of going. And it's that sense of, and I, I, I always know this is a crass, aggressive analogy. And I always say it, I kind of apologize for it. But I came back from a background of martial arts myself. And a background of coaching. And that sense of going, it, it's kind of like, it should be like a martial arts dojo that you get in. When you get into the room on a Wednesday night, you have a roll around. That's all the kind of warm-up stuff is. Everybody's up, everybody's doing something. You have a go with everybody and you get one technique and you just practice it, practice it, practice it till it's an eight. And then later on, we spar. God, that's a horrible analogy. That is horrific. But I, because I, it's not sparring. But we kind of get up and we use this against each other, which is great. And then my final point is going, yeah, but you're not doing it in front of an audience. And that's where you, the bones of it come in. Um, so I think that was, a that was one big aspect about it, which was really nice. The other one which I just always surprised me was that when we started, and now we've got kind of a really good rolling group, that what came more important was the community. That... I'd kind of go, oh, we just meet up on a Wednesday. For me, I would just go, oh, it's just that thing I do on a Wednesday because I've got this other thing on a Thursday and these other things. I'm going, oh, you guys are met up. Are we doing classes? They're like, no, we went out for drinks. Thought, oh, oh, you've become this really interesting group of friends that would never have met any other way. Yeah. And they've become this really tight-knit community that look out for each other. Um, and then and, and a really diverse, like incredibly diverse community. Lots of people who do it are from the science background are kind of, are from, are trying to meet people. So they're kind of, coming into Reading to come out, most people speak a second language. Um, and it's kind of a quite diverse cultural community. And they just meet up. And I, like, I love that about when I bring my students, like when my students play from Reed, is that they kind of get that world. And that other sense of the world, the arts community of going, there's this other part which hasn't got the, um, the gatekeepers that you need. You have to go have gone to Raleigh. You have to have gotten this. You have to have got your degree. And I go, no, improv, you come in. If you're good enough, and yet again, it's like a dojo. It's like, if you're good enough and you listen, you'll be good enough on the floor. It's a great way of, and it's a great way of sharpening up your abilities. As, a before, as an actor or like a musical theater, I kind of go, great, you're going to be up on the stage a lot. You're not going to be waiting in rehearsals. It's a great way of keeping yourself sharp. And that community, which is just wonderfully grown. Um, and that's been a really important thing for me um, as far as kind of an arts community. And also that yet again, that we have it in a pub. We have it in a place where there's safe spaces. And that was epitomized, I think, recently when we had one of our Friday, like we do a show every Friday for four Fridays. And we had our first time, we had a fifth Friday. And I wasn't around to do it. Um, and so I gave it to kind of one of my students who's, well, no, student, John, who's kind of been there from the very beginning. 
who'd a lo- brilliant improviser, lovely stand-up. And I said, what do you want to do? And he went, actually, this is what I want to do, safe space. Free show, you want to get up, you get five to ten minutes to do stand-up. But you're doing stand-up with a, in a safe space, doing it with an audience that's here for improv. An audience that are going to be kind and gentle. We're all supporting each other. And it was just this wonderful success. And it was that opportunity for people to go up and say, great, I can hone it. And my feeling is going, great, you've honed it. Now, let's actually, yet again, me pushing away any responsibility. <laughs> you should go into London and you should do this. Instead of me going, no, I should be bringing people to us. I just have that, it's that sense of going, oh, the house isn't clean enough. Oh, I don't know if there'll be enough people. <laughs> uh, you should go out and do stuff in London. I know Mad Monkey do a lot. I'm trying to get David out with his uh, Free Radicals, which is a really interesting company based on science. So that's very much how that community has grown. And it's, yet again, it's one of those things that I, I, you know, you just do your little tiny bits and it's just the seed grows and grows and grows. And everybody, like it's, I'm taking no responsibility for it. Everybody else has just taken it on board. And it's great. And it's kind of, I now go, oh, well, there's another step here now. There's where I can develop this even more. And I think, you know, you've just moved to Reading. I've moved to Reading from, you know, I moved from Dublin to Belfast to Oxford for years made it to Reading and then that finding that kind of developing community and get yourself stuck within a, 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 a the arts community is really important to me um, becoming a, a bigger part of that and saying great there's a much more outreach here I'm working with younger students and I'm working with people you know who are going to colleges uh, as actors but I'm also working with this community that just love performing so that's kind of the Reading community in a nutshell while also talking about NLP brilliant <laughs> So if someone were to come along to your Wednesday drop-in, what sort of thing could they expect? I try to do it. It's also kind of go, I kind of, oh, do, do it unique. I don't know if it's unique or not. Um, <laughs> I, my background does it is, need to be unique? Is, why is it important for you to be unique? I think it's, I, I like that sense of, I think you're right. I have that sense, the, 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 it is an old school drama teacher thing. I am a drama teacher. <laughs> I think coach is that you want to keep it, you, um, you have to keep people. And mm. also because you want people to go, oh great, what I get from this coach is something different. Is there's a, um, I can add to my repertoire. I think for me, actually to put it a big thing is, I try not to grade it. I try and say, everybody works together at all times. Mm. And what I'll try and do is I'll grade my approach for everybody, because I've only got two hours. And I'm not going to have an advanced class and a beginner's class. Because also I think it's like racehorses. You put a racehorse in a room, everybody will grade up towards that racehorse. So everybody gets a chance. And also, I did martial arts all my life. You get to roll with black belts. If you're just rolling with white belts all the time, you stay as a white belt and then you get your head. These are horrible analogies. I'm not <laughs> analogies. It's just that's all I know. Um, coaching. But the same with, I was a fencing coach as well. And it's that same ideology. So I like that sense of, Everybody comes in and everybody works at all times. And then it's a big thing that from working as an educator and working within the field of um, especially arts development and arts education, that sense of low focus to high focus. That, and a, a kind of a, a, a thing I've always had is I speak really fast and I'm really high energy. And that's handy when you're doing drama because nobody gets to worry about what they're going to do. I don't give anybody time to think. I don't like getting to know people's names. I don't want people just sitting down ever. I, that's a that's an actor directing thing, kind of going, no, just get up and blood, do the bloody thing. And I'm a bit ADD, so kind of that helps. <laughs> but so getting it up and everybody up in a low focus manner, everybody will grab one technique and will just drill that technique. Nice, fun, energetic way. And I'll try my best to break it down. Mm-hmm. 
um, so that you're kind of getting a sense of, oh, how this is how it works, and this is how it works with the people. If you're working with somebody who's really advanced, you're kind of going, great, now I can change my skills. If you're working with somebody who's brand new, you get to kind of develop that. And then we kind of whittle it down. The first, the opening would be what we might call short form, but I don't really, if I'm doing a short form night, I'll maybe get two games and break that down. Like I'll get freeze tag and break that down into a lot of chunks. And the sense of kind of going, without you worrying about it, you've gotten there. Hopefully you've gotten there. Now by the end, you're getting up and doing it. Um, and then in the second half, we'll do something a little bit more long form. And I might kind of look at, and I really love deconstructing patterns and deconstructing um, formats. Ken, Cam, Ken had this brilliant thing about saying, and you see it a lot as far as um, theatrical anthropology goes. Uh, Eugenio Barber talks about it and um, Joseph Campbell very much, the hero's journey, that Ken would go, the, the society and, and communities always have these kind of social structures and rituals and religions have the best ones. Mm. Religions are great. You can take religions apart. They've got loads of stuff to play with. Um, we did a, he did an amazing workshop based on, he'd walked past a Scientology kind of, you know, shop, whatever they have. And he did this amazing deconstruction of the Peter Barkworth's kind of the nine areas of um, stage dominance while using the emotional harmonic map of Scientology. Wow. And it was because Ken could do that. He'd pass by something and he'd go, oh, let's... Let's put these. Let's put these things in. I'll be able to try that anyway. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, 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 he taught me ventriloquism over the phone. That's, that's, that's wow. Funny. Yeah, I did one. I did one show. I did a show at the, the, the school of night, and I got a phone. I got one of those Ken Campbell and they're kind of legendary Ken Campbell phone calls. Starts out. What show size are you? Um, a nine and a half. Great. Now, what do you know about e a diddling and um, ventriloquism? I. I'm, no, get a pen. Oh, Christ. Two hours I found out about diddling, which I don't know if he made that up. It's supposedly an Irish musical form. Oh, she's like, I want you to learn everything about that. Okay, Ken, I will do. <laughs> and uh, he's saying you do ventriloquism. Oh, okay. Uh, you really need to learn my ventriloquism. Okay, great. Uh, and he was a great man for that. <laughs> so I love that sense of being able to kind of grab something and deconstruct it. And in a class, you have this sense, in a class that you have, we roll around with something and then we slowly get up and kind of like we'll do scenes um, and it's just about kind of everybody having a chance to do a scene with one of the restrictions we've involved one of the techniques we've involved and then hopefully by the end of the night to do a you know what we'd like to do is kind of do a big group thing where anybody jump in don't worry about making up scenes that are funny worry about using the four techniques we did and that was a big thing like my like when I did um, jujitsu and kind of judo they'd say don't just roll around and fight. We've just taught you techniques. Can you just use those? Because mm. actually you realise it's more substantive stuff. comes out. I think another part about the uniqueness thing was that, and remember my uh, mentor, my kind of mentor as a, a, a coach and as a, um, um, a, an educator, Declan Drone, and his big thing was kind of going, could I run a workshop in a pub? Like, could I literally be drinking in a pub one night and go, <laughs> can I get this whole place to workshop? And in my head I've always gone, I so, I've kind of gone, I'm going to do that. We're getting, this, this is going to be, this is a competition now. Can I be just in the bar some night and by the end have run a really clear drama workshop? <laughs> um, and I kind of, so I like, I really enjoy doing that. And then as far as the, um, I know this, this is a podcast people are talking and I still feel like I'm talking so much. No, no, this is entirely the place to do it. Um, I think also that sense of trying to even it out in regards of kind of coaching. 
so that sense of going if you're brand new you get up you get to play with a um a higher level player kind of no more advanced player and that's great another factor is that people have been doing improv for a lot and ruth bratt talks a lot about this in when she talked about her rehearsals or practice for showstoppers that sense of you can do lots of improv and never develop <laughs> and that they kind of go great no we have to get your techniques learn something new and develop your technique Ruth is like you know just phenomenal on stage because she she's always changing and there's that big thing of going people who kind of been on it for years I kind of go you're not doing the technique you just have very clever ways of cheating it uh, you're not actually you're not improvising you're scripting very fast in your head wow so coach is then there to go great you know you're brand new the, these comments are for you for you I'm going to tear you apart right now <laughs> because this is what you need to be coached. And, and also that, that idea that coaching is an active process. And it's interesting kind of going back to, like as an actor, an acting coach, and then when I've been coaching, when I was a coach, I was physical and I used to be a fencing coach. A, and a brilliant thing, my fence, the guy who taught me fencing, who was kind of this ex-army, he, 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 was, he used to train the SAS in um, Arctic manoeuvres. Uh, Jim Perry, Jim Perry was his name. And he was a, um, but he, he was really high up in uh, British fencing. And he just was an amazing coach. And um, one of his ideals was going, you don't have to be an Olympic fencer to be an Olympic coach. You're coaching them. So that's how you kind of, when you're training them actively, how you, um, how you use your abilities so you don't tire yourself out, but you're always tiring them out. And then his small thing, which was, A, any uh, process can be broken down to five beats. You should be able to take anything. Break down to five beats. So I can get, so I, I like kind of going, okay, freeze tag. What are the five beats for freeze tag that are always active that keep people moving? So by the end, they're playing freeze tag, but instead of going, oh, what's a funny thing I can say, they're just enjoying the technique and they're not afraid about jumping in. And this other thing was saying, you can't keep more than three things in your head at once. Hmm. Have three things, and then when they're conglomerated, that's one thing, and add two more. And that was just a great way of an active way of practically kind of structuring a class and I really you know I really love it I love coaching in that regards and because I work with actors as well and a lot of the times also what I bring what I try to bring in I bring in is I'm always coming from an acting background and a um, which I think which people can go oh god like I know a lot of improvisers go I don't want to be doing acting stuff but what I see is like I'm, my background is acting and clown I was trained as a clown and, um, and Ruth talked about that I did very much clown in Dublin, um, and I kind of worked a lot of kind of worked complicit like this complicit day, did eight and Dublin stuff, so clown and dance. Um, but was getting the structures of acting in regards of how to use staging, how to look good on stage, because a big part of it is, it, it's uh, I, I I worry when improv becomes very insular and it becomes out to people there, and I kind of go no, it's a theatrical entity, and also it's a visual entity. It's not like it's not auditory, it's visual. It's there needs to be a sense of theatricality, that sense of stage picture, that sense of what you can, you have so many more options on stage. And so I like always adding those in. And so that means there's a little twist I can put on things to go, well, here's a real acting game, but it, this is how it'll work for improv. And also improv is like, the, the drug of improv is A, it's like rock and roll when you get up on stage and I can do it with drink, which is just handy. <laughs> um, but B was always handy for me because, you know, I had to really, I had to give up acting you know, a few years ago, just because I was like, A, I don't have time anymore for rehearsals. I don't have time to commit like I used to, to kind of, you know, a 10-hour day rehearsals because that's the be-all and end-all. I'm going on tour and kind of 14-hour days. 
that's the one that's brilliant. And when you have kids, and my favourite, you know, quote about kids is that you stop being the picture, you start being the frame. You start putting everything in context of that. I just kind of went, I don't care about rehearsals anymore. I don't care about, I'm worried about what they're doing. I'm kind of interested in what they're doing. So then having that sense where I can go, I get up and I have to learn lines. But you know, you don't, you can just do some, you can coach in something, or you can practice in something, then get up and perform and work that out with the audience. That very much for, as far as clown goes, that idea of that continual communication with the audience, which I love. And then things like, you know, it gives you that drug, like the Improvathon. You know, the Improvathon is great. I do 25 shows a year. And it's done on a weekend, so I only get to not see my kids for that weekend. They see me, they come for the family show, they get freaked out as in, dude, you're in a weird energy right now. <laughs> they, they get that place and they can vocalise going, you are just in a strange place. Can. Let's don't sit with us. How about that? Um, but, and, like, the, the joys about the Improvathon give me that, like, twice my son has gotten up, my six-year-old son has gotten up and performed on a London stage in Improv. Wow. You know, kind of got great. he's on a one-word-at-a-time story. I was like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> so that they, that gives me that drug as well. Yeah. But I think so that's, I think I was answering a thing about that's what you can do in the class. I don't know if that's going to help <laughs> what anyone is going to Jesus Christ. People, I don't, I speak this much in the class, but I, people are doing shit over it. So <laughs> no, and, and um, the, the time I came along, I was very aware of the fact that, yes, we were always doing something. There was, ne- was yeah. never too much sitting around where you sort of disconnect and everything. And it's interesting because I'm really not a sporty person, but I'm interested in the parallels between sports coaching and improv coaching and, you know, getting the reps in, getting just getting to repeat the... the I think thing. the psychology is very useful. And I think because I've been more... I've been looking more at that nowadays um, due to... Like, as, as an acting coach as well, because it is about keeping things active. Um, and Keith Johnson talks about the book Maximum Performance, which Alex got for me recently. And I reread it. And it's great. It's really early. It's a very early performance coaching. It's fascinating because it's very much in the 70s, so it's really misogynistic. Like, incredibly... There's, there's, he has this great line, which I've used in dance classes of saying about how, you know, about um, specific tension. And he talks about, you know, just understanding where you have tension in your body and either tensing it or releasing it, but being really specific, like in your backside or just in your sits, like near your sits nerve. And tensing that and releasing it and seeing how it changes your walk. Because what he's talking about, he works with golfers and sprinters saying that extra little release really changes your performance. And then there's a comment of going, and if you're a woman, it allows your hips to sway in a much more sexual manner. Oh, wow. It's going to go, whoa, that, that kind of, that was kind of porny and out of nowhere. And I'm going to be helps with sex. I'm going, oh, what? Um, but so he's great about defining those things down. Um, and I suppose, like he talks about golf as well, because you have like milliseconds in the swing. And people like Clive Barker's theatre games really kind of add into that. So I think, like, Keith Johnson was aware of that, how coaching comes in. And I think coaching is, the psychology of coaching is really interesting. And I think the other big point is, especially as far as improv goes, is getting people out of their heads. Yeah. Ruth talks about this in her, her, her um, um, interview as well, about how it should be always about gaining more experience. I and mean, for actors, have that. You gain more experience, and then you just apply it. So the room should be about applying it. I always feel that about rehearsals. A sense of, I don't like sitting down and talking rehearsals. Well, you can do that at home. Yeah. Character reports and all these kind of profiles. That's your job at home. And here we get it up and you give me stuff. And that's why I like improv. And I think as like a devising tool of going, no, no, this is the room for 
forgetting you just engaging and reacting. But I need you to react in these three different mannerisms. So can you just be aware of that and then start applying that? And so it's kind of ways of kind of waking you up and going, ah, I'm in the moment. Yeah. I'm in this moment right now. Um, great. And that's now I can I can start kind of using those techniques. So it's kind of that's that's kind of an aspect that I really appreciate about it. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, it's great. Yeah, the more stuff you do, the better you get at doing stuff. And and I think also, and it goes back to that comment about a lot of improvisers getting locked in their way of going. I've been doing improv for years, but you go actually, what you're doing is you're not improvising right now. You're you're not actually thinking off the cuff. Or so you haven't changed your manner of improv. And actually, your manner should change every time you're up on stage. Like, brilliant clowns get like this. A brilliant clown may get to a place where they're so set in their manner of being clown, they stop being the heart of clown yeah. and the heart of fooling, which is it should change. There should be a, there's a sense of anarchy at all times. And I kind of really embrace that and I really love that. It, there should always be a sense of anarchy. Um, and that's why I like with the shows that it is a communication with the audience. It's not adversarial like a stand-up show where I'm kind of going, I'm going to make you laugh. And so there's that sense. From the very beginning, and I took stole this off Steve, where he goes, throws sweets to the audience. Yeah. But then, and, and that idea of getting to know each other, that's what I always do at the beginning of the show, saying, oh, um, cast, meet somebody in the audience. So not only the audience can say hello to somebody else, but everybody goes, how oh, are you doing? That's a really nice idea. I've not heard that. I, yeah, I saw that actually because Mark Mir and um, oh, uh, Mark's uh, partner, they do kind of Harold the Galacticus. They do a two-man show. Um, um, based around a comic kind of format. But it's great because Mark will come out and talk and uh, Spartan will come out and just kind of shake hands of the audience. Yeah. And I love that going, meet the cast, don't be afraid of them. Yeah, and that yeah. sense of going, we're not going to make you guys look like dicks. You're here to make us like dicks. And then also for the cast, and Ruth said that, about how it should be better than uh, scripted stuff. So that sense of it needs to be heroic. Don't fall back. What you're doing now to the, to the cast is to say, we're going to do the alphabet game. Well, if we can do that easy, well, let's make it harder because you guys need to be on your top level. Yeah. You don't see the Olympics and people just phone it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be, it actually has to be hard for you. You need to be walking on a tightrope. Paul Merton talks about that, about how it's doing theatre, but on a tightrope yeah. and with a 500 metre drop. That you're going, no, you have to be on your top game. And it's not about being a top game like a stand-up comic where I'm going, I have to get the laughs for a fail. It's going to go, no, your top game in regards of you're giving the totality of you and you're giving the, um, you're giving all of, um, all, all of the theatricality. So if we do cry, we absolutely cry. We invest in each scene. And if it does fail, it fails magnificently. Yeah. And that's the Ken Campbell thing of be heroic. That, like there was another, oh God, it was such a horrible phrase. That sense, then my one, not this one. That idea of bring all of your intelligence, bring all of your intellect to improv. And I don't like that phrase because it talks about intellect. And it goes, it's a, a you have to be smart. And also there's, there's a way of, of constraining. I think it's a great phrase, but I think there's a way of constraining it of going, oh, I have to be smart. I have to be witty and I have to be fast. And I go, and mine is, and mine, but the one I like is more kind of bring the totality of you. Hmm. God, it sounds horrible. <laughs> As I say it, I go, how wanky it is. But the totality of you, which is all of you, which is just how, your physicality, your being your sense of being really alive in that moment and listening to what's happening and picking up cues. A, a really simple game that I really like from acting, which is like, you know, you have a script and people go, what happens is I learn my lines, you learn your lines and I try and come in when you look at me or I come in when I feel I need to come in but I'm not actually listening to you. One of the oldest kind of techniques in the book and we use a lot for Shakespeare to make sure you're listening is that 
I just repeat the last word you said, so I know, and then I start repeating the focus words. Start doing, and I start doing that as an improv game, and you realize going, going, I can't start edging it my way. I have to repeat off what you said. I have to react to that, and it made it more int- it made it more interesting. It made it more alive. And then you throw in like Mick Napier. Mick Napier has amazing games. Yeah. His sense of you know pick up your cues, do do two minutes and do not let a cue drop. Don't let any pauses. And you realize, oh, I have to actually be involved with this other person. I can't be involved with what I think. Uh, Napier has just like Napier is a, a, just such a great mind for games because yeah. he just does he kind of going let's just throw everything out and try everything brand new. He's also brilliant. He's an amazing podcast. He did an amazing interview when he talks about um, screen swipes and about how they're a theatrical entity. Let them be a theatrical entity. Uh-huh. That sense of a screen swipe when somebody just walks across stage looking embarrassed. He just kind of walks across stage. That's for the performers. There's people have paid to see that. Yeah. Why are you walking across the stage and people have paid? If you're going to do a screen swipe, then make it a part of the show. Uh, do a big thing because what a screen swipe should do is it gets the audience's attention. Yes. And then when the audience looks away from you, there's somebody new on stage. Yeah, yeah. We have that tendency of forgetting about theatricality because we're all about the performers. Not about the performers anymore. It's about the audience. They're who you're, he- they're who you're here to entertain. So create that story for them. Yeah, I'm really interested in that interacting with the audience. I'm less and less interested in the fourth wall. And you've mentioned to do clowning and yeah. the way in which clowns interact with the audience. There's a, there's a real, there's a, there's a sense that clowns, clowns discover everything for the first time. Everything is brand new to them. Now it doesn't mean they're happy. You can get a goose to clowns that, you know, are, are, are terrified of these things or are annoyed by these things, but they interact with everything for the first time. And the way to play clown is you're going to get a little bit ADD. You're going to be a bit fizzy because everything you react to. When you're in kind of clown mode, you react genuinely to everything. So it's very hard to do a play when you're doing clown because if something happens in the audience, you just become a really um, undisciplined actor. You just react to it and you have to deal with it because that's now a part of your world. Now, Ken Campbell told a great story about... Um, doing Macbeth and he was talking about he was given which is the horriblest the worst part for any comic actor which you get the porter in Macbeth because they kind of go you're funny you'll be able to do something with it and you go it's a stand-up routine from 1600s it's not funny <laughs> it was written it was written by the greatest stand-up of his time Robert Armin brilliant brilliant writer of his time of his time it's 400 years ago. It's loads of gags about what was happening in London at that time. It's shit. Doesn't work. It's a stand-up routine that does not work. It's kind of like doing a Ben Elton routine in the middle of, you know, in, in the middle of Texas right now from 1980s. Who the fuck's Margaret Thatcher? So, and so he talked about kind of going, I don't, don't know what to do with it. And he said there's, there's kind of, there's, I think there's three types of actors. There's, there's two types of actors now. There's ones who go, the audience love me. And they go on stage and they know the audience is there and they do everything because the audience loves them. There's a second type of audience, actor who hates the audience. He goes, the audience is just here to get in my way from me doing the bloody show. He talked about the guy playing Macbeth. He said he was one of those actors who hated the audience. He was like, the audience is just here. They're my enemy. I must act at the audience. <laughs> and as Ken says, he hated Ken. And so Ken went, I'm going to play something in the middle. I'm going to play somebody who really surprises an audience here at all. And so he played the porter, which kind of made him look drunk without him playing drunk, of somebody who's come out and gone, Jesus, there's a load of people in my house. Okay, 
And then he started talking about ta- doing his lines with being aware of this audience is here. And there's a thing that you have in Shakespeare where you don't have a fourth wall, but it's not panto. It's not you soliciting anything from the audience. The audience is a part of the narrative. Yeah. And often when you do soliloquies, what you say is that they're almost like an externalization of your psychology. So you're talking with them. You engage with them um, because they're, they're kind of a reflection of you at any time. But they're a part of the show. There's not this kind of um, delineation which kind of happened as far as restoration happened and definitely happened in Victorian theatre. Uh, and the theatre of naturalism kind of create this delineation. So improv gets us a chance to go back to that world where mm. we go, we're not letting you run the show. We're not letting you take over. But I also hate, I don't like the idea of kind of going, oh, we do, we do bits for so long that you've, we've forgotten about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're still here. Now, we don't have to go, are you still here? Are we all okay? But we can still be aware of them. And so I think there's that, it's almost that kind of, and I think a lot, a lot of people like playing with Shakespeare in that regard, of, because that's innate that. Yeah. And so bringing that back in is always really lovely. And that, just that two-way communication. Saying, we're here together. Yeah, I, I try and do it so that I'm not breaking the reality of the scene. But sometimes just a glance to the audience, make a connection, and you know, it's not a double take. It's kind of going, we're all here together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and this has happened. And I, like the smallest thing about in clown in regards to that, if somebody coughs or somebody does something, you kind of be aware of it. You don't have to note it. You don't have to state it because that's making a gank about somebody. But just incorporating that into the world of the scene. Yeah. And I think yes, yeah, sometimes just incorporating them, being like allowing your eyes to connect with them. Yeah. Without kind of having to do a nod. Which and also we are all are, and I'm really um, a horrific kind of whore to the audience. I'm doing kind of little, uh, isn't that clever there? Uh, or am I not? Um, but yeah, kind of going, you still like me. Thank God you like me. So I think there's that, that's, a, that's a big thing with him, like as far as improv go. And I always kind of, I'm sad to know something where we kind of, we lose that, we kind of forget about them. So I, that's why I like the immediacy of short form. Yes. Um, just because it's that sense of going, oh, we're having dialogue here with you guys let's have some fun let's kind of develop this but I, there's so many people that just do long form so well that has that I did I recently did uh, John Oakes brought me over to do um, and like it was I get I, I do get invited to go to London to kind of work with Phil Whelan's kind of I was so lovely by trying to invite me in and I so by now I just realise I'm horrible because I kind of go I'm never available I'm never around yeah. I either have my kids or I'm working yeah. I just I'm never and I feel always so bad about letting people down so the one or two times that I can do something grab it and so John um, after doing the Improvathon invited me out to do one of his he was doing a night in the Improv Theatre in London yeah. um, and he got and it really was sweet of him actually he does his Shakespeare in 2 prov, but he just got me up to do it with him and um, we've never done anything like that before and it was great like he's he's so great at just his allowing that to flow with the audience and kind of allowing that to be fun um, and then kind of you know engaging that kind of letting it kind of seat forward and back and playing cheap gags but kind of allowing them to be kind of clowny cheap gags and then allowing that to kind of develop that was really fun to see it was just so kind of you know really kind of just lovely organic approach and then also uh, Ruth and Lee were there as well so I got to do a little bit of short form with them so I just always laugh because I just never get I think Ruth and I realised that we'd never work outside of an improvathon together really yeah <laughs> so that's, that was really lovely as well actually I mean I love I do love I love short form as well as long form I don't see you know you can do both and it's yeah. fine um and especially if i'm you know watching a bill of a few acts if there's a short form group on there i'm like oh wow brilliant because like see, because it, a long form can be great 
but it can also be really terrible. And I would say short form is probably more reliable. I think it's the factor is that people do improv for a while and they want to develop further towards actors want to be rock stars rock stars want to be actors and act- no rock stars want to be rock actors actors want to be writers you know that sense of improvisers want to be actors they want to go and they want to write and act at the same time yeah. they want to show how great that is and I think that's really good uh, uh, my other thing is kind of going to an audience you've paid and sometimes like in Reading our audience aren't improvisers yeah. an audience they're an audience that kind of go we like this weird quirky thing yeah. let's keep and so I think there's a sense of you can roll your eyes at, it at short form and kind of go we're just pandering so then there's a sense of going I don't think Keith John's going to say that. You kind of go, oh, cool. let's let's develop it out. Let's yeah. kind of work at that and so we're not. Um, but I, you do feel that. If you kind of go, there's loads of long forms. And I go, oh, that's fine. But um, I'm, we're here and we're here for an improv yeah. show. And you do get that of a short form troupe comes in. And I think there's a sense of kind of go, and here's our, you know, here's our, um, uh, you know, our, 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 our um, the necessity short form group is just here for a minute and you kind of go no those guys are fun those yeah, guys are great fun yeah, yeah. I like that that's really handy for the audience the audience are killing themselves laughing and they're really buoyed up and happy and I think another factor is and I think Har- um, the um, as far as Harold goes Del Close Del Close will say that a Harold is a, um, a performance art um, process he, call, he doesn't sell the comedy he says it's performance art and it is it's a, it's a way of kind of going it was them going we just hate the audience kind of going, gynecologist on Mars, kind of go, we'll just get one word and then fucking do it. And I, what has been really interesting with reading, like, especially with Mick Napier and, um, what's his company called? Um, the what? The Noise. The Theatre. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the sense of kind of going, the, the, when they do like, really blue nights, they're going to say, well, let's just fucking say everything we're not supposed to say because you just get it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. And then the other times when they go, well, we'll do a Harold, but... You know, we'll add in all these extra things. We'll make it really hard for ourselves. Yeah. And that would be the Ken thing of going, yeah. why are you doing hell? Why can't you do that all the time? Let's make it harder. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's why are you doing something that you're good at? Yeah, no one wants to see an alphabet game performed perfectly. Yeah, you want somebody who's, if somebody's awesome at alphabet, now we're going to make it super hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, and also we're going to make that sense of danger. We're going to make it kind of going, oh, everybody's at the top of their game here. Yeah. And I think that's really important for that. I think that's what keeps improv, that's what makes improv interesting. But I think that playing is probably put at the top of your game. And like, you know, when you're making something like a Harold. Yeah, no, it's the annoyance. Was another thing I kind of, with safe spaces, I'm going back to the classes, which was about that kind of, what people say in a class and kind of, when people say the wrong thing or people kind of go, Keith Johnson does it really well of going, when you're doing anything, all improv is supposed to be going towards your, sub, your, um, your subconscious. And you have to wade through piles of shit to get there. <laughs> and he always kind of goes, it's sexual and it's sexual taboo. So it'll be guys doing homosexual gags because that's taboo. And even if they're doing it, they're not like, it's like, not like they're kind of doing it as an, oh, we we'll always play gay characters. It's because that's the taboo thing they're going through. And then it becomes about scatological humor. So sex then becomes about poo because we're going to go through the kind of the system like that. And then it becomes religious because we kind of go, can we prod at that? And then it's gone. And I think there's a space for that in regards of also going, there's, there's a way of kind of, um, and John Ryan, I think, would also talk about this, but like never training via negativa, of not slamming, hitting somebody down too hard. Like these things happen in, you know, when you do Buffon, when you do um, 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 uh, Commedia dell'Art, you're saying, okay, let's just get it out of your system. 
let's kind of go ahead. that's not cool to say do you think that's cool that you said that no I don't think it's cool cool fine <laughs> and everybody laughed at it and we only laughed because it was taboo but actually here's another thing and it's why and, and Johnson says this and I always say at the beginning of the class I try and say at the beginning of the class saying look A you can't fail in here so don't worry about that and any weird shit that comes out of your mouth for now that's my fault because I made you say it okay. I made you say it let's I'm never going to take it that you hold these beliefs true I think people some men can be really really sexist and then, but also they can be sexist because it's their knee jerk reaction when they're terrified they can say something stupid and, say, and you kind of go great that's not a cool thing to say so that character was sexist cool let's move on with that but also kind of going instead of going oh you're a horrible person for saying that no you're working through all the crap yeah. till we get to a place where you're actually just kind of being a good human being let's just kind of work through all that shit so it's fine to work through that shit to get there that was a valid point <laughs> do you love the audience or do you hate the audience I love the audience. I'm terrified of them. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, like I'm a youngest born of my family, so I kind of continually need people to like me, and I'm terrified they don't. But I'm hor- horrified when I need for it, so I kind of go, and like as an actor, I was the same. Um, and it's it's that that's why I kind of gone. Oh God, never be a stand up because that sense of you do like me, yeah, it's it's fine. Um, I I I love that sense. It, it's before every show, I kind of go, oh God. My, my stomach is running kind of going, well, if nobody turns up. Because then I also feel I've let everybody down. Yeah. In the sense of, well, I have, you know, you have a community here to look after. Uh, so I have to move the responsibility. <laughs> but then what I like about the show, and I love about improv, is that communication with the audience and that need to break rules. I think once you've learned them, and like, I was an actor for years, and then you get to a place kind of going, let's mess with things a bit. Why? Well, it just kind of keeps it alive, but also because we go, what are the boundaries? We've made those boundaries up. As long as we know we've made them up, that's cool. So we can break them and then go, we never do that again. Or we can go, that's a bit bon. And that world of going... And I think also when people go, well, we don't know then what's the structures. An audience knows, you know. You set things up. It's that sense of it's kind of like going, how do you have discipline in your class? You keep the class going. Well, like when I'm teaching kids, I keep class going, you, I, I, you map your energy to their energy. So teenagers, you have a much higher energy because they're going to come in with a lower energy. You have young kids, I have a much lower energy, like with my kids. But keep it moving and you keep that kind of sense of anarchy and that sense of, it's not pedagogical teaching. It's, 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 it's about what you can bring. But I need you fizzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's have that, let's have the world. Because actually then, when I'm speaking, the boundaries still are created because people go, I'm interested in this. You kind of inject us in. I think there's that sense of going, they're just a rattle, or they're not here. That sense of, and I keep on looking at that with my, when I'm coaching as well, people who are presenting, of going, you know, it's you plus 10%. It's just you, but you can't just be you. You need that extra 10% to kind of go, come on guys, it's going to be really good fun. Yeah. But also, you know, be you. And it, it comes a lot, there was a, a French comedian who just kind of, who, Gallo, I think it's Gallo, who, who's huge in France, massive comedian in France, and he just moved to America, and he's trying to stand up, he's trying to stand up again. And he's failing because his thing was skits and bits in France. And people were going, you're really funny. Your life's really funny. He's talking about that because that's what people want to engage with. Yeah. And like with people when they're doing presenting, kind of go, be just a good bit of you. Don't kind of go, here's a game and this is, you know, or have a setup which has a bit of story to it. Or, you know, it's kind of going, no, no, no. Let's keep engaged with each other. Yeah. And I think also that sense of going, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't allow chairs in a rehearsal room. I was never allowed chairs and I was an actor in a rehearsal room because you give an actor a chair, they fucking sit down. You give an <laughs> improviser a chair, they will sit down. That is true. And the energy goes into the floor. 
So I'm going, nope, you can, if you have a chair you're using it for something else. I hate chairs because, and also because they clutter a space. You have a tiny space on stage. You have such a tiny space on stage. If you have a chair, people start weaving around it yeah. and doing, um, TJ and Dave do brilliantly. If they'll just pick stuff up and bloody move it. Great. And I kind of go, no, just have nothing on stage. And I remember going, doing a sh like doing the improvathons and, and you get these great points of insight because you're so tired. <laughs> but doing a lot of playing with um, um, prop stuff. And Mark Muir kind of going, I was just junkie and had loads of props of drugs. And Mark went, yes, I know my friend, but I also have this huge big pill here. It's a made up pill. And I was like, oh yeah, you can make up any shit you like. That's handy. So that sense of keeping that energy alive. And that kind of being you, being the positive version of you. Don't grouse, don't sit down. Don't do the, oh God, you know, just be that positive version of you and, 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 get, and have that two-way conversation. You, we're friends together. Hi, how's it going? I always love that. I love that about community theatre when I did um, role turn schemes. You kind of go to somebody's community and you kind of go, they go, this is our village hall. And we go, great, we're going to make a great night for you guys. Yeah. Um, and I think that also comes from like, growing up in Ireland, church on a Sunday you can't escape it, um, is a social thing, is you go to church, not because of the liturgy, you go to church because everybody else is there, and you're looking around, and you're seeing, and you're engaging with them, and I remember being in New York, I lived in Manhattan for a bit after school, and going to see um, Pagliacci in the Met, and it was Placer Domingo's kind of 50th opening, whatever, and of course the show begins, it's opera, nobody cares, <laughs> everybody's looking around, seeing who's here, and everybody's talking, it's, like, it's a social event, Improv shows should be a social event. Um, the Improvathon is an amazing social communicative event. We don't like it, and it takes that thing from clown. Clowns never bow at the end of a show because a bow is forced and false humility. It's oh no, yeah. I am not worthy of this. A clown stands there and goes, Oh my god, thank you so much, that's awesome. <laughs> Rarely see improv uh, improvisers taking bows. Improvisers will stand there and go, Oh wow, thank you. That that's nature of it, which is really nice. And at the end of the Improvathon, like, that's always been the most amazing thing. And I, I always tell my students about that when they go. If you do the, if we do the Improvathon, if you sat, watched it for 50 hours, come on up on stage. Yeah. Be with us. When I play music, we're all going to dance and chat to each other. Yeah. We're going to go for a drink together. It used to be, um, the London one's, like, the London one's great fun, but you have to go to a pub afterwards. I'm so tired. <laughs> so thinking, I have to get back to Reading. I have to get back to Reading. Oh, shit. Um, this year I literally had two minders Alex and Chris from the club kind of went, we're bringing you home because at one stage I spoke to them for half an hour and I was asleep did not and they were like dude you have not strung any two words together that made like you said words and none of them were in context of the word before it I was like I was fast asleep uh, but so, the, 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 London is always a bit sad I find because everybody has to leave and most people have to go home after it. Yeah. you spend 50 hours together and you want to have that moment and you kind of sit there watching the clock we used to do one in Bristol, and Bristol Old Vic used to put it on for us. And when they put it on, they put it on, because it was the full week of the improvised jam. And so you'd do the show, and you'd walk, as you walked out, and it's such a, I don't know if it's such an Irish thing or whatever, the artistic director of the Bristol Old Vic would be kind of going, what's your beer? It's waiting on the counter. It's like, is a beer waiting for me? <laughs> and we'd stay up all night, and then he kind of goes, there's loads of bottles of wine. Grab yourself a bottle of wine. The last time we were there, we all slept in, um, in kind of um, army beds, on the stage at the end oh, wow. none of us actually did we all stayed about all night drinking <laughs> but it was great and all the other acts were there and everybody just hung out and everybody just had that sense of party and release because it's a convention and that's and it's always the thing that I'm never able to do the party of the improvathon because the month, it's always on a Monday night and I'm always back with the kids yeah. I'm always just 
the zone doubt. Um, and it's just that sad kind of farewell that you get. And it's that weird thing as well with the Improvathon of that if people are kind of go, wow, we've known each other for 10 years. For one weekend a year <laughs> for 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. it's just that sense of, like Jacob Bannigan, people like from, from, from um, Canada which are kind of go, we've known each other for 10 years for a weekend every year. <laughs> and you're going to get, you kind of slot back into it every year. But I think so that sense of community and that sense with the audience, I think is really palpable. And that sense of going to come and drink with us after it, hang out. Yeah. I like the idea of an improv jam when everybody gets up at the end. I've never been able to make it work. I just don't know how to make it. I think one year it worked and I, we really put a lot of time and effort into organising it. And there was a load of my, there was a lot of people there that kind of jumped in. Um, but I like that sense of going, everybody come up and have a go. Yeah. But I also think, the other mind about it is you go, I've just done a show, I'm not art facilitating something else. Yeah. You have to go into teaching mode for it, yeah. very much so. Um, I think what we do, like I, like I do a maestro every two or three months, which is always actually really good fun because there's always too many people that get involved. And I go, oh, okay, it's good, then let's do it. Yeah. You know, we have to, we, we'll knock people out early. And they're just a really good fun way. And, and I also kind of see people in the audience, anybody want to get up? You know, yeah. put your name down because if you're not feeling comfortable you get knocked out early yeah, if you yeah. do feel comfortable you might win so, <laughs> so I think yeah, I love the audience in that regard I, I kind of I like that community and I just always feel bad about going I'm terrible at marketing I'm terrible at kind of going oh, I have to tell people about the show I'm t- I, I, that sense of kind of going I've had to charge for you to be here I'm sorry I'm sorry let's just have some fun uh, is it okay you're okay it's your friend night okay sorry sorry um, so that, yeah that's what discovered me as a performer I mean, <laughs> for having my own theatre companies but you have you have audiences that are not improvisers yeah how does that happen that's amazing it's ready yeah. so there's not enough of a community yeah. so we've had A it was we kind of said it's always for family and friends so people can bring their family and friends around um, Mad Monkey Alex is a great loyal audience that he's developed over years and he's got a great mailing list for those and then it just kind of off the back of that. And then also we have Dave with the Free Radicals, Dave and John and Weiju and Patrick with Free Radicals, developing their science-based audience. They've got, it's a really lovely um, um, as, uh, format they have where they kind of invite a scientist in. So they bring their people, like what's, what's been amazing about that is they'll invite a scientist in to do a talk. They'll bring their mates to see the show. Or a lot of people come and see that and see how that's developed. We've had two or three that have now become part of the improv troupe. Really? Because they go, oh, it's great. <laughs> I'm doing talks with kind of um, uh, Reading University. There's, there's um, the psych department and also the uh, the science kind of community have come in and they've gone, oh, great, can we do a bit of that? Um, and so I think it's like people that come out and also because Reading has a, an audience which I think stand-ups sometimes find the Reading audience a bit weird because yeah. they're not hugely vocal. They're out, they're 25 to 45 professional like later 20s 30s to 45 professionals they're out for a night out they don't want to really need to get involved they just want to have a nice fun time yeah so with a comedy show where it can be quite in your face no we don't want that a theatre show it's a bit too highbrow for us right a nice show where you kind of go it's in a nice bar there's a nice bar you can get a drink you can come on upstairs we won't pick on you you can watch us acting like tits and you can also see us really try and do something brand new and they just kind of pull people in. That's not a big venue. You kind of you're not feeling on the spot, and we try and have that communication with them at all times, and it's just more fun that way. Yeah. It's you know they really kind of it's they just appreciate it, and I just it's great kind of getting to know them. And then you kind of go great. If you ever want to come in and play, come on and play. 
But um, you know, we did a lot with um, meetup, a lot of meetup groups in common, and 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 go. It's a weird, you know, it's an unusual event. Yes. Please do that. So I'm. That's one thing I'm really happy about, and I think also because it's ready. The improv community isn't big enough to fill a house. Right. Yeah. yeah. So actually, even though it is getting bigger, um, so it's lovely just kind of being just a theatrical event where there's not you know everybody going. Oh, I was at the workshop today. You know. (laughs) Um. It, it's fun but I also understand that's hard to get audiences in you know yeah. but you know you look at showstoppers and they kind of they're, they're ostentatious uh, they, you know I think when you get in a really nice format like that yes. it's really helpful as well yeah but I think it, it's, it's it's something that and yet again goes into that kind of community development thing of it's nice to be inured in an environment in a community to say you know within the arts community within kind of the social the, the social world of it and Bill's like Bill is great at that he, that's what Bill wants he has um, a month like every other Wednesday the first Wednesday of every month is a Cafe Scientifique where they get a, they have a lecturer on and just gives a lecture uh, on, on some kind of scientific principles and often a lot of them will come to the shows or come and do kind of um, do the, the, the workshops with us cool yeah it's amazing cool okay last couple of questions I want to find out about you as a performer specifically oh God, yeah, okay. so uh, for example, at an improvathon, what could somebody do on stage to delight you? So many things. I, Ruth talked back, t- talked about one of the improvathons. She said Donovan Workin, who is she mentioned him before, who's one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. He just walks somewhere and he's funny. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen. Actually, I've never seen anybody as funny. And he did the, the, the scene she talked about about him, Dylan Emery, and I, thought, I can't remember who else was in it. In a in, in a tent, and the tent was two flats. In Improvathon, also, I'm quite, I'm kind of known in Improvathon for I'm in every scene. Right. I try to be in every scene because I don't like to sleep and I get a bit ADD. And so I kind of will go if I have to hold a piece of prop up, or if between a scene I'll get up and I'll redo the um, furniture. And a lot of people will kind of go. Uh, Carriot gets Carriot Lloyd often people get Carriot I'm, I'm having a bit of freak and she'll go go to Seamus and hold his hand because I'll go you suddenly go I'm, I'm a bit worried and a bit paranoid I'm great hold my hand when I get on stage you get on stage yeah. if we're not called I don't care if we're called or not we'll yeah. get on stage and we'll move the scenery yeah. just to get you back into it yeah. so I kind of I, I kind of sit there like a racehorse um, but so I got up on stage and I was holding this flat for them to do this scene and it was so funny. There's a video of it. It's so funny. I genuinely thought I'd wet myself. <laughs> so there's a part of me holding this giggling and then looking down and checking my trousers because I thought I'd piss myself. Uh, she's just glorious. <laughs> but so Donovan, like, it's just, he's so funny. And he's just going to be so subtle on stage. I remember also saying, like, there's so many things that just delight me each time. And that sense of kind of playing, really playing the trope or um, playing up to that world. Um and 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 I'm really engaging with 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 storyline, allowing that to happen. But also remember, it seemed that the Sufferettes, um, they came over and they did one of the they did one of the improvisations a few years ago. Sufferettes are phenomenal on stage, and the fiftieth hour, their last scene, they did a scene that was almost transcendentally good, and it was. I remember we all watched it with our jaws open because we all went, we know exactly what they're doing, and I don't know how to replicate it. Yeah. It was just so beautifully. They were both really tired and they were trying to do a scene that went narratively one way and then something really silly happened that one of them, um, Becky kind of changed her face and they just picked up on that and then the scene turned somewhere else and then became monsters. 
And I just kind of went, where the hell did that go? And actually, uh, one of the pyjama men, Shinoa, who is just so... Uh, what really delights me is when you see someone like Shinoa, who just is so laid back, and he's, he is attentive with it, and probably on the side, you kind of go, this is my character, and I'm going to... I'm going this. You know, who's your character? It's Roy. Hi, Roy. And everybody goes, hey, Roy! And he just kind of is Roy. He's <laughs> being Roy. And he just... Uh, Shinoa just kind of just does this. And there was one scene where... I was going through a dark gates of hell bit, so I was just being dickish because that happens. And I went, well, I've my character has. Also, I have this thing in the front that always happens is that I pick a character, I do a character, but because I'm a clown, I try to be in everybody else's scenes as other characters. So all the other little tiny characters I build get more of a storyline than the character that I've put any time in because uh-huh. I haven't invested any time into it. <laughs> um, and so I kind of felt I wasn't being called up enough. So I kind of walked my character into one of his scenes. And he was trying to have a scene, him and Nina, and I kind of walked in a little, and I blundered in with a load of kind of, I felt stupid narrative stuff. And he just kind of went, cool, let's deal with that now. And he, and he, got, he also picked me up on one thing where I was playing this Russian dancer, and I said, you know, I, I train you and you become great Russian dancer, you know, with, with great, you know, we, 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 um, sportsman-like. And he went, you're Russian, you guys cheat all the time. And I went, oh yeah, yes, okay, yes, let's cheat all the time. And he's like, why should we cheat? And I was like, well, maybe, you know, so you can get more success. Do I want more success? Yeah, and he just kind of went, and then he became this monster. And then there's four other scenes of him being a monster destroying all of Blackpool. (laughs) Out of him going, I'll just yes and the shit out of you. (laughs) And I just thought, now he's just, but just because he's just so delightful on stage because he's got no ego. Yeah. And I think if they come back from Ken, that somebody has no ego. Lauren Shearing has been like I got to play with Lauren a load this year in the improv. That she's so because she's with a filthy, <laughs> filthy sense of humor. But just so wonderful, just standing there, just kind of smiling, kind of going, "Cool, bring it on! This is really fun." <laughs> and I think that any time you can go, you know, there's no agenda, and you kind of just go, "We're just having there's so, so many people having fun yeah. up there, and just kind of engaged so in the moment." Um, that just absolutely delights me and just that sense of somebody kind of when you see people a lot of the Canadians come in and they just have there's no ego about it they just kind of go this is my character let's do this and there's no kind of agenda and there's no anything and there's the sit and you can just see how everything develops because they just allow it to they just kind of it just flows so delightfully and after the suffrettes and just that you kind of go it's so in their systems there's um it was like there's a tale which is now almost legendary about the first big improvathon we did and a guy came over from Canada called Kurt Smeaton. And it was like, what the comment about him was that he knows improv so well, he just breaks all the rules all the time. And uh, one thing he did, which was just, and yet again, it's almost apocryphal. It's like, it's this, it, it, this story which just became a legend. That, you know, during the improvathon, when you mime things, when it gets to the, 30, the 40th hour if something's mimed it's become real it's happening <laughs> you de- don't give anybody a glass because they're stuck with that glass in their hands <laughs> for hours it, during that improvathon I put down a mimed book and then I couldn't leave the stage because I couldn't find it <laughs> and then you go ah he did the thing where somebody gave him two kind of glasses and so the rules are you know if you got something you have that object permanent you have that and he was there with the glasses and there's no table and he just kind of raised them up into the sky and allowed them to float away and as he did it the entire audience looked <laughs> as they floated away he was the first one to break the fourth wall he genuinely broke the fourth wall in a, during a show like he smashed through and became Kurt again and was just there outside of the fourth wall it was 
it was amazing. <laughs> so there's um like when you just see that really natural fun yeah. and the, just that natural playfulness kind of yeah in the problem like there's so many of them they just have that sense of going oh this happened I think like also that when I say but like you come in with your own character and I always end up I always end up dicking around with Dylan Emery basically Dylan and I kind of go you know we're going to play all the other characters at all times <laughs> and we'll often end up going and it, it, it we try not to but they kind of go let's play upstage Olympics how much can we upstage here <laughs> and if Carriot comes on they kind of go oh no it's a battle to the death of upstaging um, but that fun of just kind of being on stage and and, and picking up of anything small and then seeing... I also think that finding something small and the kernels of that developing out and out and out. And I think there's also a delight when Josh Darcy does this. He'll come into the improvised and he'll go, I'm going to play a really boring character. And I have no agenda on stage. Yeah. And everybody loves that character by the end. He did one where his character just incessantly spoke about service stations and the M25. Because yeah. he knows them all. And he'd, he'd do that every time. He'd yeah. get up. He was just delightful. But he was just kind of there and I'd love to have that confidence of not going oh I need to be in the audience I need to yeah. be here just to kind of be able to play somebody really kind of you know if somebody with just that kind of comfortable energy yeah. on stage and it was just yeah Shania was like as Roy he just had nothing he's kind of come on stage I think I've, I've done it once or come on a stage as a character and the audience has gone well we've clicked with you we like you yeah. um, the rest of the time I'm kind of going I'm playing every other character isn't that right I'm playing everybody is that, ah, look at me juggling um, so I, I really, I really delight in that. And somebody who can go, that's just pure technique. And they're, they're not overworking it. They're not pushing it too hard. And the sufferettes were just that sense of they're both tired and they just were picking up stuff. And neither of them are riding it. They were kind of going, oh, that's the next thing we have to do. That's the next, okay, now we go and we go off to there. Oh my God. It's like, I'm not going on after that. That's, I don't know how to, they, they've stopped their brains, but they're also, but also Becky's like an amazing clown. She's a yeah. clown for years. So I think that, the answer that, that it's that sense of that, oh, that really lovely, we're just doing this and we're not trying to be funny. We're not trying to be anything. We're just telling the story. And I think, I think also that for me, it helps if I give my character a, a, a really huge restriction. I'm a blind character for a problem. Wow. Uh, really nice was that, Herman Gander, who I've done a lot of with a lot of the improv stuff, he's in the States now. And the two was kind of partnered up. We ended up having getting married at the end, and we had this huge love affair. But he was like as a as an ex Raj kind of Indian soldier and me as an ex kind of British soldier who was blind. And we came near the end and we're doing our hot do a hot thirty in future character. And I was doing mine, I kind of had the cane, and I was doing as many physical gags of being blind as I could get into fifty hours. And he came on with a bandage around his eyes going his character was saying about my character, oh, I honour the fact that you're blind, so I shall blind myself, because we are brothers together. Like, they became lovers, but they were brothers together. And he did his hot 30 with a blindfold on. And he came backstage, and it was between shows, and I was having a drink, and he was crying. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, mate, I, I realised, it's been really hard for you. I was like, what? He was like, I was on stage with a blindfold on. I couldn't, I was so disorientated. I'm so tired. I didn't know where the lights are. I was genuinely, I never get this, I was genuinely scared on stage. I felt genuine fear. And then I thought, you've been doing this for 50 hours. And I had to go, Herman, my eyes are open. I can see. And he just went, oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Because he just gets so invested. He gets so invested. That was really, that's really lovely as well. So yeah. kind of, yeah, and you get that by the end of the improv now when everybody's so tired and everybody's ego's down. 
you just get these lovely moments. I also think this year, there's really interesting thing this year, that there were so many moments of complicity, where we'd say, like, theatrically complicity, of, if it was a group scene, there was no one mind. Everybody reacted as a group. And I think also it was, because it was very much, I think there was, um, there was the exact same, there was a real good gender balance. Yeah. Exact same, and so there was, there was much more, and I do feel that there was less of this competitive feel. There was yeah. much more, um, and I don't think it's a feminine or masculine thing. I think men feel they have to be like that, but actually they're not. Much more, it was this, everybody worked through scenes. But so then dance scenes and big group dance scenes, it's phenomenal because people genuinely listened. Yeah. People genuinely worked through the, So all the group scenes, instead of kind of somebody clunkily waking, we're going this way, like, no, wherever the group scene goes, we'll listen and we'll let that on. I think when you see something like that happen on stage and everything just aligns, you just go, oh, that's perfect. There's, a, there's an amazing uh, one just during one of our um, improv games on Friday, improv shows on a Friday. What's the game shows? And it was somebody kind of called for a hat. And as they did, John just kind of whipped off his hat and spun it right across the room. And as she called for a hat, her hand went up and it literally landed on her hand. <laughs> and she just kind of, and she, she really fought the original guy. go, what the fuck? It's fucking amazing. <laughs> she kind of pulled into the scene. You go, oh, that's standing. You know, you're not, going for the laugh is good, but you'd rather get the standing ovation. That yeah. kind of hierarchy of threes. If it's easy, it's good to get laugh. It's really lovely to make the audience cry, but if you make the audience gasp, ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> so that, that, that sense of also when you make the audience gasp, you kind of go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. The, the, um, in the, one of the earliest improvathons, it was Jack, Jacob Bannigan and Mark Muir. And Jacob Bannigan was playing uh, the make-away. Jacob's just another. He just stands on stage and is funny. <laughs> and he just kind of... And he doesn't know... He doesn't want to steal a scene. It's always your scene. Um, Jeff Haslam's like that as well. Where he's brilliant to kind of going on and going, oh, it's your scene. You do whatever you like. I'll follow you. You're going to be really good. Um, Jacob was playing this Make-A-Wish kid. And it was just really funny. He just was... And eventually he had to die. And it was this really funny scene where he was kind of... He was sleeping and Mark went on one mic as his unconscious. As his subconscious. And then somebody else went on another mic as his id. And so it was a fun and it was really kind of silly, funny scene. So it was really funny. Everybody's laughing, laughing, laughing. And then Mark kind of just went... And so there's the light. And whatever the reference was, it then became see the light. And then we just watched this kid die. And it just turned. And the audience felt that everybody's in tears because okay. you genuinely watched this person die. And the, the wonderful thing about the improvathon is, and it's like with the um, showstopper, the songs, that character will only exist for that time. It's really intemperate. It's not like I'm going to reread Hamlet and I'm going to see him die a million okay. times. That character's dead. It's over. It's gone. And uh, Ruth kind of, um, when Ruth's doing um, a Victorian one, she played Victoria, and Jeff Haslam's playing um, Albert. And, and their relationship together was so loving. They're such good friends. When he died on stage, we were all distraught because it is over. Yeah. It's, and I think it's a really interesting thing for, oh, here's now, going into kind of education development, drama education. Many, many years ago, here's a fun tangent. This is an interesting tangent. Many, many years ago, um, a company I used to work for in Ireland, which is the big theatre and education company, they were working at plays about um, a bereavement for five-year-olds. It's a really hard topic to look yeah. at. And what they worked on is that concept of games. And it was a load of characters, some four characters, and they went, we'll have, we'll have a game. And at the very beginning of the game, the kind of, and when I, yet again, I love patterns. That idea of the show was built around, well, our first ritual or rule is there's no go-backsies. 
can't do gold axes, and they had an A, and we'll have an imaginary friend that they always have. And so at some stage they got to a cliff, and the imaginary friend jumped off the cliff, and they went, oh, and then he came back, and they went, no, there's no gold axes. We have to deal with that loss, yeah. and it actually hits, and you go, ah, shit. And I think there's that sense that you see that in the Improvathon, you get that, where you go, that character's dead, it's not coming back. Yeah. We're not going to play that again. Something has passed, and energy has moved on. And we mu- we do mourn it, and we do feel it. And that w- that's when you go, and that's another piece of this as well, where it isn't, uh, the, the danger is with improv, it's like, I'm really good at improv, improv. no, you're not, you're just scripting very fast in your head. Mm. You're not gasping. There's a point where you kind of go, shit, I didn't expect that. That really kind of took me by surprise. And that, like, was, I think, like, the, most, the greatest thing I've seen recently, The Grinning Man. I saw The Grinning Man in London, and it reminded me of a show I saw 20 years ago called Shock-Headed Peter, which was one of the reasons I moved to London. I moved to England, never moved to London. Just that it was a piece of theatre that just grasped you from the very first second and surprised you a lot of times, and not one second was wasted. The for prop was dropped. You knew that, that prop was going to be used two seconds on. Yeah. And you need to have improvisers, showstoppers are amazing at this. Not one second is wasted. You pick something up and you you use it again because you are not because you're showing how clever you are, and that's the problem. Because you are honouring the audience. The audience has said we've seen that. You're going yes, and that's where we go back to that communication. We're here with you. Yes, you did. And if you didn't, God, if we didn't pick that up, we're really sorry. Yeah. We're here with you, and I and that's and you know that sense of communication. I think with as far as impro- improvising, that's what that goes. And going yeah. No 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 sorry. And I think I guess that sense of kind of being as from being a performer because, um, I was I trained as an actor and I trained as a teacher and I was an actor for many years but I'd been doing clown for years and I ended up kind of doing dance and it was but I really realised that in Ireland improv like improv was a natural was a natural part of their rehearsal process because there's so much devising and also because there was so much funding so much arts funding that you could you had time yeah. for doing that so everybody got very good like people who just were naturally kind of quite good at it but there was never an improv scene and I um. And I remember when I came over here and realising it, very much Adam Megiddo um, inviting me to work, to do a show with Ken Campbell. That was the big explosion for me, you know, the early days of the um, School of Night. Uh, when, I, when it was like, you can do a show with Ken, that'd be great. Okay, now here are the rules. There's rules. Oh yeah, you don't look at him, don't ask him questions. And there was all these rules about kind of, when you're working with Ken, he'll try to kill you, he'll destroy you. And then by the time I met him, he was really mellow and he was lovely. And I really <laughs> liked him. Um, to the point where, and I think, and it really still upsets me, and I can say to my students about find your mentor and hold on to them and just do whatever you can. Was that I think we did I did the one of the showstoppers two thousand and eight. I was up in Edinburgh with a show, and the showstoppers were up. Um, and actually, my ex wife was producing them at the time. Um, and Ken came up to do one of the showstoppers, and they had this great conceit of they would get a reviewer, a national reviewer, to write the review of the show the night before and then they play that show oh, like, wow. yeah really clever and then one of them they couldn't get somebody so I came in and did it because I knew Ken and stuff and and I'd been doing all the workshops with Ken and we'd doing a lot of stuff and I'd done the improv before then and I came back from that and I, I Oliver Senton kind of went I think you're one of the few people that could just that would benefit from being around Ken nowadays because you're just you're odd <laughs> uh, you, you're, you're a bit you know touched and the, the, that mania would be really useful for you and I came back from and it was before the kids were born and I came back from Edinburgh going, you know, I really don't want to do that and I should do that. And I, I'd missed out on some other people, other mentors in my life. And I got in touch with Josh Darcy to say, I'd really love just to kind of be mentored by Ken. I, I, I'd love to kind of go, actually, or how can I do more with Ken all the time? And he got back to me and said, Ken just died yesterday. And I remember just kind of going, oh my God, 
He's like, I'm really sorry. Um, Ken just passed away. And he just got back from Edinburgh. And it was that, ah, oh, shit, because there's so much. Mm-hmm. Playing you know, Sean McCann, it was like definitely his kind of, he was a Fengali to, to Sean McCann. Um, it was that, they had a huge sense of loss. But I think, so that, that sense of kind of going, I've been an actor there and I've kind of been an actor over here. And then being introduced to the world of improv, you know, I knew whose lines anyway growing up, but seeing it as, oh, it's this format of the thing which is starting to happen. And I had always, un- oh, I'd love to go back to Ireland to set something up, but I'm rubbish. I never, I barely ever go home anyway. Um, much to my mother's chagrin. <laughs> and um, and I, I'm just rubbish at setting stuff up. And so the guy named Niall Curran who set up this wonderful scene, and that the international scene is huge. Barcelona has a great improv scene. So I, 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 like that was kind of a big, big turning point for me as well. I, answer, I asked myself a question. Yeah, that's good, that's there. good. I like that. Okay, so the big, big, uh, big final question. What is exciting you at the moment? What are you working on? What's... <laughs> what's... What does... You know, what's, what's really firing you up at the moment? What, what always fires me up is that community about trying to get people to work more together and develop things. Um, and I think also that sense... And it's Steve Rose, very, Steve Rose thing of going... Ah, let's just get out there and just do stuff let's create stuff let's kind of um, let's use this as an arts development thing I very much like it what, what excites me about it is for my students I go like I teach a one year foundation course and then they go on to a three year training I go if you're not going to three year training then get out there and do this you know? but also I'm kind of going to the girls get out there and do this well, I give them a speech at the beginning of the year saying look every guy is going to get up in front of you in this class and Try to pretend they're funnier than you. And you're going to do... And a lot of you are going to do this going, oh, they're men, they're funnier than me. Well, they're not. But they are going to get up. But also, it's not because they're being cruel or anything. They don't know any better. They haven't been trained. They will get trained not doing this. They're just natural at getting up. And as a girl, most time in school, you've been told to sit down. What I need you to start doing is getting sharp elbows. And as soon as they get up, you grab their hair and you get up with them and just be louder and be in front of them. And that sense of kind of going... It's a great space where you go, I think for actresses I'm going, you're going to get out there, there's only 10 parts that are written for you. Shakespeare, there's very few parts. This you can get up, you can start getting up there, you can start being on stage, just with a lot of other funny or brilliant women. Just getting up there, the guys that look after themselves, they're fine, they're being looked after. Get up there and do it. Also, it's improv, you define what you want to do. If you kind of go, I hate that type of humour, that's me, sorry, I hate that type of humour, great, you don't need to do it. You don't have to obey anybody else's rules. And also, even if you don't get a, you know, if you're not successful with it in the beginning, which you won't be, you're a performer, you're not going to be successful until your 30s. What you will be is you will have practiced, you will have honed your technique, as long as you're honing your technique. That excites me in regards to going, there's no, um, there's no gateway to it. I think, and, 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 and I like it as that tool, but also to kind of go, it's not a training tool. I think we've slightly reached the end of the wave, of the big improv wave. I think, you know, like when we get to the West End and stuff, that was it. And I think we're kind of coming back down the other side. It was a huge popularity. It was a huge surge. And I can just feel we're kind of going, the arts community is going, what's the next thing? Because mm-hmm. it does go in cycles. I remember coming up, physical theatre was the big thing. And in Ireland, I was a really, I was kind of well-known as a physical theatre performer because I had a background in martial arts. I was always big into tumbling. I did fencing. And then I became a dancer just because dance shows would go, this guy will do anything. And I became a clown because they were like, he has no concept of hurting himself. Look at him, he's made of it. And I love that. And I have that, that physical energy. Physical theatre is a huge thing. If you didn't do physical theatre, you wouldn't get a show. 
And then it kind of became actor musos. If you don't play an instrument, you're not going to... And everybody's going, like, Shockhead Peter came out, Sam Mendes did Cabaret with actor musos. And everybody's going, this is really interesting. This is, this is unique. This is lovely. And then that came out. And the cusp of that then came improv. And people going, oh, improv is really interesting. I think Mischief are doing a very interesting thing. What Mischief is doing is not reinventing the wheel. They're bringing slapstick back. Yeah. Uh, physical comedy back. Great. Everything goes in cycles. And that physicality is coming back. I think what happens is you get this wave of companies like the Institute, like when, like Ruth was talking about, those early companies. They were kind of making the rules up and finding out as they go along. Carriad and Paul Foxcraft talk about how they were like, we'd like to improv, we don't know anything about it. We bought impro and we just met every Sunday, we did every game. Yeah. I say to my students when they go, I don't know about it. I'm going, great, find it out. Figure it out for yourselves, it's great. Um, then they created this really interesting, an organic and a very English style. I think then there was a theory of, oh, oh, the Americans are coming over. Let's learn their style. Let's start doing that. And then what you have sometimes is that you have an audience with loads of improvisers. So it's improv for improvisers. So you've lost your audience. So you're kind of going, oh, what's our next beat? And I think also that a lot of improvisers, in America especially, they train in improv so they can become brilliant writers. Because mm-hmm. it it's a great writing tool. It's a great devising tool. So I think there's going to be a community of improvisers that have all these skills and I think they're going to be applying it. I think that usually goes towards writing and devising. And so you get brand new writing, you get brand new um, um, art. I think there's no, there's a danger now that there's, because there's no funding for arts. Um, and I think there was, artistically, there was the, the preaching to the choir of Nicholas Heitner kind of going, you know, during New Labour going, we're really well funded, but we are preaching to the choir now. Can we have some right-wing writers in? We lost all of that. And usually within the cracks, and um, Robert Lindsay, is it Robert Lindsay? No, it's not Robert Lindsay. Um, it was the, 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 the Ken Campbell like we talk about the um, performers were supposed to be weeds were supposed to grow between the cracks we need adversity improv when it was coming up was great because everybody goes oh god improv is not real performance adversity now everybody gets really good now everybody goes hey improv's cool oh, shit nobody wants to be cool <laughs> everybody wants to be an outcast and I think that's what we find in you know the community of improvisers is full of outcasts full of people that kind yeah. of go we don't fit in and actors are the same, performers are the same. So I think there's that sense of when that kind of hit, we're in a place now where there is no funding, there's no arts development. And improv is great because when you remove everything from a culture, then it works with the barest bones of what it can get. In in Paris, you get parkour and free running because you try to restrain a culture. In Harlem, you can take away all the musical instruments. People start putting together their own desks, their own um, like um, turntables, and they start just getting the hooks off songs and you get hip hop. You need that kind of adversity. And I think we're in this weird place culturally where we haven't found out what that next adversity is. I think uh, the arts in Ireland have always been interesting because Ireland, there was a lot of adversity at all times. Even during the Celtic Tiger, the boom, it was like, Ireland's rich for about five minutes. And then it's not again. <laughs> um, but we always had great arts funding, which also meant we always had a really avant-garde scene. You saw things, the national stage would be, would do stuff like the West End and you'd watch it going, this is Amdrop, this is, this is so staid. Whilst, you know, other main theatres are doing things that are just incredible, like, you know, you have Corn Exchange, you have Comedical Arte companies. And I think we should, we're waiting to find that next young community that need, that, that, to get their voice out. You know, I think there's, the community that was there, that was doing improv, were people who had, didn't get into kind of, the performing arts colleges did a degree in English because they were they were also told you can't do performing arts you need to get a proper job 
And so they've gotten and they've trained themselves up. You see so many people with degrees in English. And also because that degree actually gave them the kind of uh, academic ability to present. That they kind of needed for, you know, when you get the, the like, you know, Carriad and Ruth and Lucy, so smart. And they're kind of improvising as well. And I think it's not like the 80s where you had, like 80s you had stand-up comedy. It was that kind of that huge thing, the adversity there. Hopefully, I think a lot of people thought improv would be that thing that people get. And I think it hasn't really hit it. Um, I think it's, you know, it's kind of gone the same way as it is in the States. So it's kind of, the, it's come a bit ubiquitous. And so trying to find out, it's not an exciting, it's not a huge exciting movement anymore. It's, it's wonderful, not to take away from it. Um, I think people go, oh, we are bloody exciting. And I go, yes, you are. I'm really sorry. Um, but I do think that it, it's a wave. And I think there's a cycle. There's something else that's coming up. Improv's always going to be cool. Everyone's always awesome. And there's always going to be new things. Ruth talked about that kind of finding new formats which you kind of rolls your eyes at. And I kind of go, yeah, it's, you know, it's just fun to do stuff on stage and it's fun to get up. And I think that idea of getting people and giving them an opportunity and a platform to perform. And I think as long as we always keep it heroic, that there's an audience going, holy crap, I did not see that. You know, that's, that's what always gets an audience in. You have a lot of people that have nothing else to do so they train their bodies by jumping around and then they do jumping off buildings you go holy crap how did you do that and they go because I've had nothing else to do I've had six hours a day and I think the, the only big difference is that you used to have the doll you used to have social welfare yeah. that allowed art to flourish and allow communication to flourish and you just don't have that anymore so you kind of have a culture which is slightly being stripped so I think it takes it's going to take another generation to find out it's happening um, but I think there's another generation. So I, I, I think as far as access goes, improv for me, I go, that's the exciting thing about it. Of It was like martial arts for me. You turn up in any dojo, you can have a roll around, but it's not going to get hurt, hopefully. <laughs> uh, you can have a roll around, you can meet new people, and you can hone your skills. And as long as you are honing your skills, you know, you should be going up with really good performers and going, wow, I held my own hair for a second. Great. I'm getting up there I like that sense of going, it's good to go up and do classes, but it's even better just to get up and, and, and you know try that and get up in front of an audience. And I think also, as far as audience development, I think we, that's the next thing we need to start yeah. to push. Going, come on, let's develop audience that's kind of going to communities. Let's get out there. And I think also, because a lot of it's London-centric and there's a very finite group yeah. coming out of London. And I think that sense of going to go, oh, improv, it's London and it's you know Chicago. And I can't go, what, Barcelona is insanely big for improv Dublin's getting really big for improv France is one of my one of the guys used to come uh, Jeremy I was like do you like improv and he's like I've never done it I was like you're really good in it it was like yeah because every year I watch the improv Olympics in Paris it's huge I was like I didn't even know that existed it's like it's massive it's a spectator sport and I think that we you know there is that sense of there's a vacuum which happens to the arts within England I think it's all about London uh, if it's in the regions it's not really real I'm kind of going well, actually it's more interesting vibrant stuff happening there I think Bristol has always been very good at that Bristol like Andrew Yo, I think is really is developing there and so I think about allowing that to happen and kind of going it's not going out it's developing your own stuff and allowing those communities to kind of go great come on now and doing what I should be doing is saying come and play with us I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm, I'm just going to clean the house oh god I'm just I'll get over my own neurosis um <laughs> Because people are really lovely, but we will come out and I go, I know, I just, oh, there mightn't be enough drink. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> there won't be enough nibbles. So that's it. But that, I think that's it. It's, it's always exciting for me. There's nothing that I've gone, ah, this is a huge thing because I feel, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that thing that when I was coming out of college and I was going physical theatre, holy shit. 
we have to do this and I have to get involved and do every single workshop on this. Improv was getting there 10 years ago. I go, oh, just, oh my God, I see who's coming over from David Shaw's over. Oh my God, there's, you know, the, the, the TJ and Dave are over. I do a workshop. We have to do these workshops. And then you kind of start getting a report card of, oh, I have done all these. Have you done this? Oh, fine. Now you're doing workshops for sake workshops and we're not feeding it back into anything. Uh, what's that next thing? Where do we, where are we feeding it? So what's the next thing that's kind of rebellious and kind of, you know, yeah, which is that sense of rebellion. Um, and it's not for me to decide. No, no, I'm way too old now. It's that sense of you're 40. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm waiting for one of my students to put me in something. I'm in that place, I gotta go. Sow the seed, sow the seed. Do something and bring me along. I'm, it's too late for me now. So yeah, that would be kind of my answer to that, if that makes any sense. Brilliant. Thank you for being a guest. No, please. thank you very much for allowing me to rant for uh, two hours. That's, yeah. that's the beauty of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> That's the danger of podcasts. <laughs> it's the blessing and the curse it's of podcasts. The, well, also, I'm guessing for you as an editor as well. <laughs> I made this. That's improv. <laughs>